Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling via Zoom after the Vikings completed the 2023 draft with, uh, what was it, four selections they ended up making? I was about to say five uh, that they maxed out with today, but they deal one to move up and get a defensive tackle uh, out of LSU, a teammate of their first draft pick a defensive back out of LSU. We'll talk about the teammates they brought in today after the teammates they brought in earlier in this draft and some of the main storylines from this draft. Uh, Ben, but it starts off with the Vikings taking a quarterback, right? Yes, just a little (laughs) later than we thought they might. (laughs) It was a guy that you pinpointed in this process for the Vikings that they liked um, that that you had heard, and they ended up getting him out of BYU and Jaron Hall, excuse me. Yeah, that it's a little bit of a project. It's certainly not something you look at and say, "Oh, the the successor to Kirk Cousins has arrived." I mean, he's he uh, he's twenty five. Uh, he's from BYU, so I, I think spent a couple of years on a, a Mormon mission, as as most students and certainly athletes at the school do. Um, you know, I think probably transitioning to an NFL offense is something that will take a little bit of time. So they're going to have some things to figure out with him, but met with him at the combine. Um, I, I heard that that went well. And, and Mike Charlton, their college scouting director basically said that today that they put up a play with him, that they knew his receiver had run the wrong route just to see, would he throw the receiver under the bus? Say, Hey, it's not my fault. And he basically said, hey, you know, I got to make him right there or something to that effect. So I, some of what they were looking to see is just how does he, approach it when he has a chance to throw somebody under the bus and say, Hey, it's not my problem. Um, so I think that sort of stuff impressed them. And I think they, they know they have to figure out what he's going to be in the NFL. Um, I think a guy's probably got a little more of a read option background than what we've seen in Minnesota in the past, but he at least did enough to give them, I think some intrigue as they went through this process and, They'll, they spent a pick on him today to develop him. We'll see what that turns into. Yeah, Mike, we heard from Mike Charlton over Zoom was made available to Minneapolis reporters. As you mentioned, the director of college scouting for the Vikings, he mentioned that they liked, um, he kind of checked all the boxes was his phrase in terms of some of the traits that he brought and also the production in college. He mentioned his efficiency. He threw 51 touchdowns to 11 picks for BYU in just two years as a starter. And Jaron Hall said in his Zoom session with us that I feel like I've shown a lot in just these two years and I have a ceiling to grow, even though I'm 25 years old at this point. As you mentioned, he's one of the oldest draft prospects uh, that was available this year. Um, And he comes in relatively unpolished, but somebody who's got the, as Charlatan mentioned, the efficiency in college that he showed, the accuracy, the ability to process, he said his um, what was the phrase for the testing? It was like the psychological, um, uh, intellect testing they do. Um, two thing is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, there you go. The aptitude testing. Thank you. You could tell I would not do very well on aptitude <laughs> testing. He said it was quote off the charts for Jaron Hall. Um, and so those are the things that kind of stood out about him. He also mentioned another moment, uh, in one of those draft meetings with Hall where, um, he wasn't somebody who stood out and he wasn't afraid to say, um, I, I don't know in some of yeah. the responses. And he said, a lot of prospects try to lie their way through these interviews, fake it till you make it kind of stuff. And he or was you a get kid. coached to do that. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So much coaching goes into this stuff nowadays. Um, 
And he goes ahead and mentions that this, this is a kid who was just honest, genuine, and authentic. And he said that that shows us that in, with these gaps in his knowledge and, and areas he needs to grow, we believe he's going to be able to learn and progress uh, from there. So he's a fifth round pick expectations are set accordingly, but it's another uh, quarterback in the room and somebody that, as you had mentioned, Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings certainly liked uh, going into this process. Kevin um, O'Connell, I believe still remains the highest drafted quarterback in the building. <laughs> That's a good note. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's kind of strange, but yeah, I mean, you have a fourth round starter in Kirk Cousins and in Hall, and then I, I think Nick Mullins. I can't remember where he was. I think it was later than that, probably a seventh. Can't remember exactly, but yeah, I believe uh, O'Connell, who was a third round pick in two thousand eight, uh, remains the highest drafted quarterback in the Vikings um, offices in Egan. So yeah, because Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick once upon yes. a time. Um, now Jaron Hall joins him as a fifth round pick. The Vikings started Saturday by trading back everyone's favorite. Everyone reacted so well to the Vikings trading back on, on Friday, uh, in the third round to get the last pick before taking Bakai Blackman out of USC. They start Saturday by trading back to recoup a 2024 fifth round pick, a pick that they were going to lose in the Jalen Rieger trade, uh, to Philadelphia last year. Um, so they end up recouping that pick, falling back 15 spots, getting Jay Ward out of LSU, a versatile defensive back that we heard from their scouts is somebody who can play multiple positions and give them the versatility that Brian Flores covets. So, Ben, when you pair him with Blackman and the work they've done in free agency, uh, they've at least taken some steps to get new blood into this uh, secondary. Yeah, it's an interesting approach, I think. I mean, Brian Flores talked about this in, in Chisholm Opara from the scouting department said this today, that that was a, a, a consistent theme from Flores and, and Flores. We've heard Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell talk about this with Flores. The fact that he spent time in the scouting department, spent time in the front office with the Patriots before he became a coach that he, he has this ability to think like a scout and talk like a scout. And that's, that's an important part of this draft process. It's coaches being able to articulate to scouts. These are the traits that we want to have in our schemes and, Go find us players that can fit with this. So, I, we I think we kind of knew all along that Flores was going to play a a fairly significant role in this defense and in trying to reshape it. So that part of it was interesting to see play out, specifically with this kind of emphasis on versatility. I think it's part of what he wants to do. It may also be a way to add a little bit of an effort to. Um, put defenses or put offenses on their heels in a way that you can't otherwise simply because you didn't have the money or the high draft picks to add tons of impact players that are going to, you know, make teams, make offenses kind of feel like they have to play left-handed, so to speak, because you, there's all of these athletes that we just can't answer. There's all these unblockable defenders. There's these corners that we can't throw on, you know, that sort of thing is not, probably going to be the way it looks at least to start i mean maybe andrew booth maybe a caleb evans develop maybe lewis scene comes in is a big part of this thing in in one form or another but i think a lot of what they're going to try to do to put offenses in a situation where they have to react rather than dictate everything that they do to the vikings is just be unpredictable and be uh, a team that can can shift a lot when brian flores got asked about this it was a lot of the last question of his introductory press conference 
he got asked four three or three four, and he said, "Who are we playing?" It depends. It's matchup specific. And then he said, "But three four, and which everybody I think kind of expected. He's a three four guy. The Vikings seem like they want to be in that system going forward, but." We will see more variety, I think, in terms of schemes and personnel usage than we saw last year, or frankly, from what we saw from Mike Zimmer. It was a fairly static, it's a 4-3 or it's a nickel in the Zimmer years, too. So that is going to look different, I think, this year. And it seemed like a big emphasis with the players they added defensively was let's get guys who can fit that type of a approach. Yeah, and be less predictable. I yep. mean, you don't you don't rank 31st on defense without teams knowing kind of what you're doing and where you're going to be and how they can beat you. And um, I think it was Chisholm Opara, one of their main evaluators mentioned that they're focused and told by Flores and, and their staff that they want to be less predictable and show uh, fewer tendencies or at least have uh, fewer predictable tendencies on film. And yeah, getting guys like Jay Ward is going to go a long way. He's somebody who uh, Demetrius Washington was somebody else who was made available to us mentioned they view him as a slot safety type somebody yeah. who can play multiple positions for them and he's just a fourth round pick so he's gonna have to cut his teeth and they've got a lot of guys ahead of him including Byron Murphy who can play that slot role uh, and uh, versatile safeties like Josh Metellus who have been asked to do it in the past but this depth chart at least looks a lot better than it did a week ago for the secondary um, the Vikings, uh, go ahead and they added Blackman on, on Friday. We haven't talked about him at all, Ben, uh, Makai Blackman out of USC is somebody who was a zero star recruit out of San Mateo college of San Mateo, uh, ends up transferring to Colorado where he spent four years before going to USC and parlaying that into what seems to be in, by some draft analyst accounts as an overdrafting by the Vikings, but um, they like him for a variety of reasons. And what stood out to you about that pick? Yeah, I mean, the, it's kind of that same theme. It, the You'll see a lot of this probably in the evaluations of this draft. They did not go get freakish athletes. I mean, the, the relative athletic scores, which is a measure that a lot of people use to kind of put a single number on some of the combine testing, which I, I think is useful to give you an idea of just what type of players are you getting in here. They did not bring in a draft class that scored terribly high in that metric. Um, that is different from what we've seen them do in the past. Certainly what we saw them do a lot of times with Rick Spielman, where it's let's just go get the top athletes we can, even if they're unpolished, we can try to develop these guys over time. And there were a lot of times that didn't work out, but the approach here seemed to be, the like we've talked about this this emphasis on versatility i think you know blackman is uh, the question with him is going to be is he big enough to play corner in the nfl i mean he's 511 i think 170 i mean very similar size to jordan addison the first round pick but a guy that they will probably try to get to fill out a little bit and we've heard o'connell talk about this too with tyler williams and his staff their sports performance people um, getting him in with Josh Hanks, the the strength coach, I think is going to be a big part of what they try to do with Blackman because you're going to have to have, I think probably a little bit more ability to, especially in this scheme, get up in receivers faces and jam them effectively enough to throw off timing. I, I think that's going to be something you see them do quite a bit. And the pick makes sense. I think if you, Look at some of these things they emphasized and just knowing that they needed a corner. But 
there's a lot with this cornerback group between him, Andrew Booth, and Caleb Evans, that you need people that haven't played much in the NFL. You need at least one of them to hit and hit pretty quickly. So there's there's still a lot, I think, to prove with that group. And, you know, it, it's interesting, too, that in the first round, instead of taking when Deontay Banks and Joey Porter Jr. are still there, they take a receiver, which was a need. They needed another guy to take attention away from Justin Jefferson, but they had corners there who would have fit in a, in a press man type setting. And they said, we're going to go a different direction, knowing that they weren't going to be able to get those guys back because they didn't have a second round pick. So they really are betting on whether it's Blackman, Evans, uh, Byron Murphy, Andrew Booth, uh, Joan Johnson, even they need some of these guys to hit pretty big. Are you talking about Joan Williams? Yeah, Joan Williams, yes. Um, yeah, the what stood out to me about Blackman too, you mentioned the versatility. Uh, according to his NFL.com draft profile, he does have experience playing outside and in the slot. Yep. One thing that stood out to me under weaknesses, I've never seen this uh described as a weakness because it's quite hyperbole. Quote, could become an illegal contact machine. <laughs> yeah, in an era where the NFL <laughs> likes to call it. I mean, illegal contact has certainly been something we we see be a pretty big factor. Well, heck, it was a big factor in uh, in all the number of the playoff games at the end of the season and the AFC title game, certainly in the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, that would be, I think, something they'll try to coach out of him pretty soon. Yeah, and so it just speaks, though, to the type of player they're looking for. They're looking for aggressive man-to-man guys, yep. more jamming guys, not off-cover uh, read and react necessarily. They want somebody. Uh, we heard a lot about hip pockets when we're when we were <laughs> when these guys, uh, the scouts and evaluators, were talking about these guys they drafted. Um, they want guys uh, to tightly cover them, and and I think Quasi boiled it down to that. He said these guys got one job. Uh, we need them to cover receivers, and Makai Blackman is somebody who can do that. Um, one pick that certainly wasn't as irrelevant as the seventh round suggests uh, was Dwayne McBride coming in yeah. from Alabama, Birmingham, um, with the Vikings' final pick, fourth and final pick of Saturday's final rounds. Uh, ben, they make that pick while Dalvin Cook is still on the roster. We asked Quase Adolfo Mensa after the draft uh, what's going on with Cook and Zadarius Smith, and he said the same thing that they had said a couple weeks ago in terms of communication being open and searching for solutions for all parties. So what did you make of the McBride pick and, and kind of where they stand now? Yeah, I mean, I that pick I stuck out to me too for the reasons you just mentioned. And the fact that he continues to say we're having conversations, the communication is open to find solutions with two players who are on the roster tells you everything you need to know. If, if it was as simple as these guys are signed for this year, they're going to be here. There would be no communication or solutions to find because it would be settled. So in everything I've heard is that they are open to either trading or certainly restructuring those contracts. I, I, I It's going to take a little bit different approach, I think, with each one of them because in the Zedarius in the Smith situation, it's Smith, I think, that wants more money. Uh, in the Dalvin Cook situation, it's the Vikings that probably want him to have a smaller cap figure this year, especially after they gave Alexander Madison a bigger deal. They want Madison to play a bigger role. I think it's going to be more of a, maybe not a complete timeshare, but 
more of a role for Madison with or without Cook than you've had in the past. But as as we both know, there is a direct link between roles and compensation in the NFL. They are not going to pay a running back $14.1 million against the cap if they are, number one, going to have him share a role with Alexander Madison, and number two, if they're going to run the ball as rarely as they did last year. I think they're going to run it more. It, it certainly seems like they are setting up to do a little bit more of that with the way they've structured the personnel. But I don't think you're going to go back to the Mike Zimmer era where you're seeing you know, three, four weeks in a row where Dalvin Cook is getting 30 touches. That Those days are gone. And that contract was signed when Dalvin Cook was the focal point of the offense. He's not anymore. So it's either going to have to be a restructured deal or probably him moving on. And, and the question will be, is he and his camp open to that? But I, I just I continue to think there's no way he's back here on his deal as it, as it exists right now. And five teams alone on Friday in the second and third rounds took running backs, yeah. including Miami. After two uh, took one in the first round. Yeah, and that was right. Two go in the top 12. Uh, DeAndre Swift gets dealt uh, for peanuts, essentially, or I think it was a fourth-round pick three years from now, or two years from now, uh, <laughs> yeah. to Philadelphia. Um, is the and, NFL uh, transactional equivalent of peanuts. And that's a guy on a rookie contract. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. and and uh, I know he's a much more injury-prone and less proven than Dalvin Cook, but still. Um, it doesn't look good for Dalvin in terms of his options other than accepting a pay cut in Minnesota. If he were to try and stay here, uh, the open market, I can't imagine would be, um, too accommodating considering, I think Ezekiel Elliott is still out there. Yes, he is. Um, and I'm sure there's any number of Leonard Fournette. I think there's any number of, of, of veteran backs still available. Um, so anyway, did Jamal, I'm trying to remember where Jamal Williams landed. He, He went to new Orleans, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so yeah. and then New Orleans just drafted Kendra Miller two out of TCU, and they've still got Alvin Kamara. Um, yeah. So I guess it's yeah. In we'll vote. see where that goes with him. I mean, it's I think in... there's legal questions there with Kamara, but true. I was going to say though, too. I guess it's just in vogue to get 14 running backs. Yeah, yeah. It's um, certainly seems to be the the way of it. I mean, and and this is, I think, how the Vikings would prefer to do it, and. Much to the chagrin of fantasy owners, like just I just want another one guy I should start. But no, this is not going to be <laughs> probably that way uh, with McBride coming in. I, you know, how big of a role will he have? We'll see. They like Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler's still around. Um, Kene Wongwu, I don't know that he's going to turn into a big piece of the offense, but they have a lot of options around to have different things in their packages. Kene seems to be the forgotten guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a return man, he's he's certainly going to have a role. But, yeah, it doesn't seem like he's been able to carve out anything on the offense yet. We'll see if that changes. But regardless, they have a lot of players there. And the fact that they continue to acquire them. And we should also mention, I think Brad Biggs, the Chicago Tribune, reported they were pushing to try and get David Montgomery before the Lions signed him. And if that is accurate and brad has covered the league a long time and is is fairly well plugged in i have no reason to think it's not it tells you that they plan to look different i don't think you'd add david montgomery if you thought dalvin cook was going to be here so um that i i don't think we've heard the last of that it's very possible that plays out into august 
you know, somebody loses a running back and, and needs a veteran, you know, something like that could happen. Um, I, I don't think either with Cook or Smith that we've heard the end of that. Well, beyond the quarterback situation with Kirk entering his contract year and the Vikings not being able to land a franchise successor at this point, and then the questions we just discussed with Cook and Smith, um, what are the remaining top questions after this draft What in terms of positions that were unaddressed or uh, any other questions that you have left unanswered for the Vikings? Yeah, I mean, the offensive line a little bit, and this was not a draft where you had all sorts of picks, and it was not a draft where people thought – was worth having a lot of picks. This was not seen as a terribly deep draft overall. So it was probably going to be a little bit difficult to solve all your needs, but it's a, a little bit interesting to me that they didn't do anything there, given the fact that Ed Ingram struggled last year and Ezra Cleveland is a free agent after this year. So, you know, that could be something they figure out down the line too. But I was, I I think a little bit, uh, expecting them to try to add an interior offensive lineman somewhere in the mix. Chris Reed is back. I think he has a chance to to contend for a role or just to be a swing guy um, in in whatever capacity they want to use him. But I I kind of thought if they had somebody they liked that they may use a mid round pick on a guard or a center that can swing out to guard or, or something. So uh, that that's kind of the one I guess it sticks out to me. Um, you know, everything else, they, they at least did something. I think adding a D tackle is, was smart. I think they needed help there too, especially if it sounds like he can, he can pass rush a little bit too. So yeah, I mean, that's that the, the offensive line, I think is the one that's still, you know, worth keeping an eye on. And I'm sure the next time we talk to Mike Rand, he will say the same. (laughs) They could just use one more guard, one more center. Um, It's the Rambo hobby horse. (laughs) Ezra Cleveland, uh, is entering the contract year. Garrett Bradbury's new contract is essentially just a one-year guarantee. Yes. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they can formulate. It's. I think they have everybody back but Kyle Hinton on, yeah. on the offensive yeah. line, so they might run it back with uh, absolutely everybody. And I think Garrett Bradbury did use the phrase uh, run it back when he was talking to us uh, last time. Uh, we, I should also be probably worth quickly on the offensive line just yeah. – and I, I think they expect Brian O'Neill to be back. It sounded like that was that avulsion fracture was not as dire of a situation as it could have been, but it's worth keeping that in mind because obviously they need Brian O'Neill healthy and we'll be counting on him to play a major role on that line. I mean, you know, Kevin O'Connell talks about the hard downs, the 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 moments where, hey, you need to take care of your assignment because there's no help coming your way. They like to put a lot of those on Brian O'Neill, in part because he's shown he can handle it. But you need to have him healthy, otherwise that line is going to be in trouble. And we saw it at the end of the season where uh, those matchups come in, and you know <laughs> you're you're going to see the the Eagles again with their just legions of pass rushers that they continue to add to. And so that they're going to get tested, especially if he's not healthy. So in terms of injuries to watch. I would put that one at or near the top of the list. Yeah. And and I think it was a rookie six round pick last year out of Illinois. Vidarian Lowe did get some yep. um, pretty strong reviews. Uh, yes. They are looking for a uh, swing tackle. They brought Blake Brandle back this year too. So he might be able to hold on to that job, but um, there might be a competition there as well. And maybe even some starter reps if Brian O'Neill is not quite yep. back. Uh, in training camp, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the Packers drafted Anders Carlson, 
the younger brother of <laughs> former Vikings kicker Daniel Carlson. See if he's more um, successful kicking a Lambeau field than his brother was. <laughs> For those historians who remember the 2018 season, um, Daniel Carlson missed three field goals in a tie at Lambeau, got cut after two games by Mike Zimmer, and now his little brother is going to try and take Mason Crosby's job in Green Bay, oddly yes. enough. Um, yes. I thought, uh, thought that was that, interesting. That's a, a fun little subplot to one of the weirder games that either of us have ever covered i think in our our respective decades decade plus for each of us on this beat absolutely and especially the next day too i remember being in the locker room it was a monday uh typical day after access and we're just asking players like you know what do you think they're going to do with this with daniel you know because we all knew how mike zimmer would react yeah (laughs) and I remember players coming out of uh, Stephen Weatherly had just come out of a special teams meeting and he said, yeah, Daniel was in there. We were running uh, stuff like normal. We're going to yeah. move on. It's, everything's fine. And yeah, they, they all kind of fell in line. He's our guy. We, we support him hundred percent. Well, not only that, like they've just, yeah, he was brought in for meetings the next day. Like the decision yeah. to drag, clearly the decision on whether or not to cut him had dragged into the point where he just went to work the next day. <laughs> yeah. they, it's not like they told him, Hey, don't come to work tomorrow. You're cut. Right. It was, Oh, we got to agonize over this for a while and then cut him midday on Monday. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, and then he's been a great kicker ever since. <laughs> the sentence I had to write for that part, that little tidbit in our in our notes for the Star Tribune on Anders Carlson was the younger brother of uh, uh, last year's all-pro Raiders kicker, <laughs> Daniel Carlson, which was just a heck of a line. I never thought you would write. Anybody yeah. would write. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that, it's a... <laughs> So it's an interesting little subplot to the whole thing. <laughs> well, we'll see if Anders Carlson makes a game winner against the Vikings or not, or misses in a tie game. Yeah, um, maybe uh, maybe Jordan Love's debut as a starter, if if it's the same as Aaron Rodgers was. I think that was a was a Sunday or Monday night against the uh, against the Vikings at Lambeau in two thousand eight. So we'll see if the schedule makers. I would assume we're going to see the schedule fairly soon here, maybe next week. It's I would think. A week. A week or two after the draft. So yeah, maybe. yeah. So I, I would think we'll get that to chew on and and uh, you know discuss and you know go over over and over almost to excess as the NFL likes everyone to do. We'll uh, do a whole we'll do a whole soon. podcast on it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's schedule release day is the next. <laughs> what's the phrase? Tent pole event um, yep. <laughs> on the schedule. So we will react to that as uh, we are want to do fairly soon i would think we will Uh, until then please check out startribune.com for all of our coverage of the vikings draft picks and the fallout and the decisions to come as they enter spring practices Uh, we will talk to you next time